Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. In this series on liturgy and discipleship, we're doing a deep dive into the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer to unpack what's all in this veritable liturgical toolbox and explore how it can help us practice our faith and deepen our love for Christ. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, dust off your prayer book, and pull up a seat. Well, I'm excited to talk about liturgy today as it relates to the Book of Common Prayer. And this whole podcast that we're doing is awesome. It's going to be great. This particular uh, this theme of studying the prayer book over the mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. What a great way for us to, I don't know. I mean, I guess on the underneath all of this for me, too, when we talk about liturgy, I always think about that old uh, Episcopal adage, we pray, we believe what we pray, we pray what we believe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's easy for me who's, who's steeped in Episcopal ease to, to grapple with that. But to somebody else who hears the word liturgy, they're probably like, what is that? What is liturgy? Yeah. Yeah. That's the great, that's the great question, Bryn. What is liturgy? What are you going to say to that? You know, before we answer that question, I think, you know, you, you bring up an important point about, you know, we come at this from some, some different angles too. So, you know, we both are kind of steeped in, in this Episcopal tradition that we can take for granted, but in my community, which is a, you know, a church plant and we're fairly new I find a whole different blessing in this, uh, in the fact that we do pray what we believe, because it means that when people come to Church of the Incarnation for the first time, what we are doing in our liturgy, what we are praying, the words that we're using are telling people right away what it is that we do believe. Um, and I think that's like just a, a neat thing about the Episcopal tradition that, that we get to, you know, put it all out there right, right at the front. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you walk into my church, so I have an established parish um, where yours will be in knowing you in just a short period of time will be the largest parish in Austin, I'm sure <laughs> of it. And, uh, and, you know, you come in and you clearly start to see not just the prayer book itself in the pew back, but you start to see the way we message things, the way we put things on our website. You can start to see what I would call the liturgical language, mm-hmm. um, the word Eucharist. And we explain what that is, you know, these, these kind of parts, these very important pieces of who we are as Episcopalians. You start to, you just start to, even if it's almost, it's, I would like to say it's intentional, but probably at times it's unintentional formation that's happening just by us embodying what we have so much love and passion for. Um, but it is the great question though. I mean, you're right. And then I even, I even alluded to the fact that the liturgy that we all love in the Episcopal church and the prayer book also helps us deepen. I think our, not, I think I know it helps us deepen our relationship with each other and with God Mm-hmm. as we participate in that work together, maybe that's a good starting place for people to really start to maybe wrap their minds around liturgy, this mm-hmm. kind of public work that we do, which if I'm not mistaken, you're way more scholarly than me, that that is the essence of the word liturgy is public work or work yeah. in public. 
Yeah, that's right. So we often talk about liturgy as being the work of the people. And in fact, we say that at the beginning of our Sunday liturgy at at Church of the Incarnation. And that word, uh, which I will butcher the Latin for, um, or the Greek, Latin, now it's escaping me. I think it's Latin. It's Latin. Um, There's two. There's Latin and then there's Greek. But I think the one that that we're both probably familiar with is the Latin. I think so. And, and it's it, the, the roots of the word are like public and work. And so we think of it as being, you know, the work of the public, but it's also a public work in the way that we think of other kind of like public works projects, that it's something that's provided as a benefit for the people. So one of the things I like about this idea of how we talk about um, liturgy then is it is the work of the people. It's the expression, the prayer, the worship of the people, but it's also for the people. It's, you know, it's done on behalf of the whole world. Um, not just ourselves, but when we get together and we pray this liturgy, um, we're praying for ourselves and we're praying for the whole world on behalf of the whole world. I wonder how many people actually think about that when they enter into a worshipful space. And I, maybe the question there I have is, as, as you think about, because one of the things the prayer book does for me and the liturgy does for me is it moves me outside of myself to this bigger conversation that is the people of God scattered throughout this wonderful cosmos that God has blessed us with and given us. But I wonder how many people think about that. I mean, I don't, I don't know at least in my church, how many folks come and think I'm going to participate in some public work on behalf of 7 billion people in my little spot on Lake Travis. You know, Mm -hmm. I just don't, I wonder, that's a really powerful image of what we do as Anglicans, as Episcopalians, uh, and what we believe we're doing when we pick that book up and we embody that liturgy and we, we wrestle with it and we pray and we, you know, we follow the liturgy. We, we start to live it. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing, I think. I think you're right in just that we can, we can take that for granted and not think about it. Um, and also that it's such a rich opportunity for us because the liturgy, as we follow it, it's a pattern of worship that's been provided for us for now, you know, nearly 2,000 years. And so it's not just a ritual that we perform, but it's the unbroken living experience of the church that we continue. And that's just really amazing to me that we, that we continue a pattern that was started by somebody like a real actual live person in a physical place with other people around them 2,000 years ago. And that we still are entering that stream every time we join the our, our liturgy. For me, I, th- I think that's really powerful. Oh, that's big time powerful. You know, I think uh, I was thinking about this as we were as we started down this path of putting this together, and one person came to mind, and and uh, that somebody in the in the twentieth century who saw the power of particularly prayer, but also he touches on worship and liturgy and the importance of of intentional formation in communities around liturgy and prayer. Uh, although he'll use the word uh, worship and prayer and that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
mm-hmm. in his little little book, Life Together, um, he talks about the importance. Of course, he did that. He 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 studied this life together in a seminary, an underground seminary during uh, the rise of the Nazi regime in what's now Poland. I think it was Finkenwald, Germany at the time, but now modern day Poland. And he talked about the importance of communities if they want to grow in their discipleship. So again, that connection point between liturgy and formation, prayer and formation, prayer and what I, I maybe I'm going to sound a little crazy here, but prayer and following Jesus, connecting mm-hmm. with one another, how important it is that we steep ourselves in that, that we jump into that stream. And he kind of touches on exactly what you said, that that's a stream that that was given to us by God at the beginning uh, and really embodied in the person of Jesus, bringing people together. And then those followers, when Jesus uh, ascended and was no longer physically present with them, continued and then the church continued and it continued and that we, it's important that we participate in that reality because that's what helps bind us together and grow more into what we're supposed to do really more of what we're called to do. We glean from those intentional moments of living the liturgy, praying the liturgy and being together while doing it as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're talking about formation and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that was uh, at the heart of wanting to put together these conversations and to be able to offer this too, is um, talking about how our, our liturgy forms us as Christians and in particular as disciples. And, you know, one of the things that's just true about humans is that we're formed by our experiences. And the liturgy is a very particular experience that we get to choose to be formed by the more we practice it. So when we repeat this pattern, when we repeat this practice and it becomes our habit, then we really truly are formed by it. It becomes the experience of worshiping God together, of offering ourselves in prayer and praise that then sets a pattern for our living not just for something that we do when we come together on Sunday. Um, and one of the things that I hope we will be able to, um, to show over the course of this series is that this liturgy isn't just something for us to do on Sunday, but it's something that actually can take root in our lives through daily practice. There has to be a rhythmic cycle to it. I mean, I think that's a big... I think I hope uh, to your point that that's one thing we will all glean by the end of this is how the prayer book sets this beautiful rhythm for us to enter into the liturgy and on a daily uh, a daily basis. I mean, and not even just once a day. I mean, being able to open this prayer book up and participate in that liturgy multiple times during the day for multiple reasons that are again jumping into that stream that connects us all the way back to the very mm-hmm. beginning. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. And that's something we haven't really talked much about as we kind of uh, introduce this whole concept of liturgy and the prayer book and those two together is the importance of the pattern and rhythms that the prayer book creates for us. That's beyond just Sunday morning worship. Now, I will laugh and you may have the same dilemma, uh, maybe not at, in your church plant yet, but in maybe from your time and I know an established parish is when you pick up the prayer book, you see just that little middle section of pages mm-hmm. that are that are worn down because we're so ingrained in Sunday morning, Holy Eucharist mm-hmm. that we forget 
the daily office. We forget uh, the different prayers for different, uh, the devotionals mm-hmm. for different moments uh, during the day or, or for different groups of people. We we forget those beautiful prayers in the back. We Heck, we sometimes forget all the historical documents that are attached to our prayer book that we're never in, they're just bound up with it, but still bound inside those covers, although albeit arguably not part of the prayer book, but still that stuff that shows us that rich history, all there, our catechism. I mean, there's so many wonderful mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. within the Book of Common Prayer that can help us, I think, in our daily practice of Christianity and relating to one another and deepening those relationships that there's a rhythm to it. There's a pattern. And that's a much needed thing, I think, in our lives. Rhythm and pattern. I think so. I think, you know, you bring up an, an important point that we should probably acknowledge too, especially for people who are coming to the Episcopal tradition for the first time or who are picking up a book of common prayer for the first time. And maybe even, you know, in my community right now, we, we have our, you know, our liturgy is on our website. And so it's basically streamed. You don't even necessarily have to have a book in your hands in order to participate in it. So the first time you pick up that book, it can be kind of overwhelming. You know, you can look through it and be sort of bewildered by all of the different components. And I think one of our hopes in doing this and having these conversations about it is that it will it will serve the purpose of becoming familiar and that the book itself will be a tool that that people really can use um and we're going to go through it kind of little bit by little bit to make it a little more accessible along the way and I think that's the beauty of what we're doing is we're taking something that I think some people encounter and go, gosh, what is this? And I will say, I, th- I think the predominant uh, vein of Christianity at the moment, or maybe uh, maybe I'm being a little bit accusatory of us liturgical traditions, but it seems that the the voice of Christianity that has the largest pool are ones who use liturgy in a very different way than we do. You may not go into their houses of worship and see a book. Mm-hmm. You might see a little bit of what we would call spontaneity. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just different, uh, different rhythms and patterns. So what I love that we're doing is we're bringing something, and I think we're going to break it down in such a way that people realize that maybe there isn't as much of a difference between all these different branches of Christianity and a, lit- and a liturgical one like the Episcopal Church, like our mm-hmm. Book of Common Prayer. Uh, and I'm hoping that even people will be able to glean from studying the Book of Common Prayer. If they walk into a Methodist church and pick up the Book of Worship, mm-hmm. they'll start to draw some parallels. Or uh, in the Lutheran church and pick up their book, essentially their prayer book, and and you'll start to see some similarities in these liturgical traditions that Absolutely. I think are really powerful. Again, and what again ties us all together versus what divides us all the time. Well, and there are so many things that our Book of Common Prayer shares with these other liturgical traditions, you know, so you've mentioned the Methodists and the Lutherans, Um, you know, there are components of our liturgy that we share with Catholics, that we share with Orthodox Christians. Um, These aren't things that the Episcopal Church invented, you know, these transcend that. They go way further back than there even was an Episcopal church, many of them. I mean, we have 
you know, in our, in our daily office, we have the prayer of, of St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom was around in what the fourth century. I, you know, so we have this record of, of, um, of prayers and of words and of intentions that have been around since before there were any of these denominations. So I think it's important to point out too, that, um, you know, we have a particular pattern that is put together in the book of common prayer, but that we share in common with a lot of other traditions. Yeah, And I think that word common is so important. And I know we haven't touched on that much, but we will, I think, develop that as we go. Mm-hmm. There is a common connection, a common bond uh, that that needs to highlighting. I think, especially now more than ever, uh, in this particular moment in human history, uniting and finding those common bonds are so important in a world where I think we get so divisive. And yet, even in that world, the prayer book has a voice and a place, and uh, and it draws us back, draws us back to the larger picture. I think when we are willing to engage and participate in the rhythms that the prayer book creates for us. We go deeper into, I think, each other and with God. And that's a beautiful thing. And I I honestly think that's what to just, I don't know why I'm all about Dietrich Bonhoeffer today, but um, I guess he was my devotional, happened to be my devotional recently. Um, I think that's what he was getting at. I think he knew that that the crux of discipleship, had to be grounded in those intentional rhythms and patterns that liturgy creates and worship creates and prayer creates uh, so that we can be better disciples, which uh, I think is a good thing uh, and something that we, we rejoice in uh, all the time. Absolutely. Well, and I do love a good double entendre. And by talking about the book of common prayer, that, you know, that word common means so many things. And like you said, it, you know, it's something that we share, that it's that it's something that we have in common. But I think, you know, one of the things that we hoped for when we were um, putting together this podcast was also revealing how it, uh, how it can be common to us, like common just in the sense of every day, that it is familiar. It's, you know, it's, it, something that that almost can be taken for granted um yeah i think that's important and i guess even bringing all this full circle kind of tying it all together one of the great uh the great dilemmas of the prayer book that i've run into just in my ministry but even before i was ordained just uh growing up in the episcopal church having friends and other christian traditions and in non and non-traditions uh, they always used to say, so you don't know how to pray spontaneously. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'll take a stab at that right now. I, I don't think that the prayer book actually removes spontaneity or we, we don't lose spontaneity by following the Book of Common Prayer. I think the Book of Common Prayer, as you actually said just a few minutes ago, reminds us and, and steeps us in these ancient prayers that come from long ago and come forward. And in other words, what it does for me is it, it actually heightens my spontaneity, gives me a, a language that's immersed in this rich tradition. It puts me right there. So, yeah, I can go to the prayer book and read a prayer for anything, just about any. I don't think there's anything I can't find a prayer in the prayer book for. But at the same time, in a moment, I can spread pray spontaneously and insert air quotes there uh, and know that 
that spontaneous prayer is going to be shaped by my intentional commitment to the prayer book and letting it fuel and form me by using it every day, making it a part of my daily life, that the formula will say the formulas and the prayers themselves inform my spontaneity and my spirituality in those moments. It doesn't at all take away my ability to spontaneously pray. If anything, I, I, lastly, I would say to that is it gives me the words sometimes when I can't find the words. Even if I don't recite an exact prayer of the prayer book, it gives me the words when I'm struggling to find them. And thank God we have that tradition and that prayer book to carry me through in this ministry. But even before I was ordained, finding those right words, just, just being immersed in the life of prayer and that liturgy that, that is contained in our book of common prayer. Well, and, you know, I, I remember what Paul says in his letter to the Romans that, you know, I think applies to us whether we're praying uh, using a book of common prayer or whether we're praying just the words that naturally come out of our heart, whether we call that extemporaneous prayer or, you know, or spontaneous or however we pray. What Paul reminds his congregation in Rome is that the Spirit intercedes for us and that the Spirit in us is actually what allows us to cry out. And as he says, to cry out, Abba, Father, um, that the Spirit is what is dwelling in us and is, you know, bubbling up in our prayer, no matter how it is that we pray. So there are lots of different ways to pray, and we'll get to talk about that over this series, um, you know, as we really dig into to what's in this great, rich book. Um, but no matter how it is that we pray, the Spirit is always already ready in us to help us reach out to God. Oh, totally agree. Yeah, I'm excited to, to, uh, to dive in, and, and I know we're going to pick up um, next next segment on uh, prayer, and I'm excited to just dig into prayer and its rich traditions. I think that'll be good, and uh, we definitely hope uh, you all enjoyed our time today. Um, and like I said, next time, next episode, we'll be talking about prayer and why we continue, why we use a book, but also really grounding it in the uh, in our Jewish roots as Christians, and then bringing it forward into our Christian tradition and. Again, diving into that uh, that stream that that uh, Bryn mentioned uh, that we swim in every time we enter into the liturgy. So, we look forward to being with you next week. But thanks for joining As us. As we continue week. our deep dive into the Book of Common Prayer, we're going to ask questions like, "Why do we pray? Why do we use a book to pray? What's the purpose of prayer?" Looking all the way back at our Jewish roots, we're also going to explore the BCP more closely, understanding the liturgical circle of life, why we pray every day. Why Liturgy Expresses the Inexpressible, all coming up on this series of Liturgy and Discipleship.